Well, good morning again. Welcome, 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 welcome. Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. She sells seashells by the seashore. Anybody else have one? Rubber baby buggy, buggy, buggy bumpers? Okay. I have some announcements for you in addition to that um, little show. Uh, first of all, we are having a spring clean, and I just wanted to invite you to come to that. Um, it's a really cool time to just kind of get to know each other by working side by side and doing some good stuff around here. Once a year, we just try to detail things like scrub the desks and the tables and classrooms and dust the windowsills. And we have like a maintenance team that's taking on special projects. We're going to put some bark out and weed. And what else, Trevor, can I excite them with? Uh-huh, this place that you sit gets pretty sterilized. Um, and also we have food to offer, which is why we would love for you to RSVP if you're coming as well. Um, we'll just be ordering some Port of Subs sandwiches for you as well. Um, and so that is for kids, family friendly, come, um, enjoy cleaning. Sometimes kids have so much fun cleaning in their classrooms and we notice the following weeks that their behavior changes just a little bit, like, oh, don't mess up my table. <laughs> I'm like, I don't hate that. I don't hate that. And um, so hopefully that's just a really fun time to be able to be together as a church family, but also to kind of roll up our sleeves and get, get a little bit of work done as well. So as I mentioned, we'd love for you to RSVP. Two ways to do that, online through your communication card or by texting the word spring to the Brookview number. Um, and we just need to know how many people are coming with you so that, like I said, we have enough food for everybody. Um, the second announcement that I have is the following day on March 27th, in lieu of our normal church service where we would come and sit in rows here, we are actually going to gather around tables. And initially, it was amazing because this would be our first Sunday mask-free. I'll talk about that in a minute. But we will be mask-free for that. We will just be in sharing a meal with seven people around the table and just engaging in good conversation. And we just thought it would be a cool way to end this series that we're currently in on community and how to do life together and coming back together. And some of the best community that I have experienced has been around tables. It is just amazing what happens when you have like food in your belly, a drink in your hand, you suddenly don't feel as awkward anymore about talking about your life. And so that's kind of what we're hoping um, to do on that morning. So we are looking for help with that as well. We need people who would be willing to bring a um, nine by 13 casserole disc I'm having some troubles. Casserole dish. Um, and we have a recipe that we'll send to you and you just kind of bring it here hot. And um, we're also looking for people that might be willing to decorate table centerpieces. And we have like a little mood board and hopefully things that you could just grab from your home and put them on a table and just create a space that feels really warm and welcoming and inviting as we all gather together. Um, we need help with setup and with teardown and all those things. So we get to be family together as we also um, create this conversation around table. So if you can help with that. Uh-huh. 
sign up on your communication card. There's a little box that you can check. And then I want to speak to those of you that are watching from at home. And if you're in a spot where coming around a table or even you're sitting here today and you feel like that's a bit much and you would like a virtual experience, we would like to offer that for you. But we won't do it unless someone RSVPs. So if you know that you would like that and that would work well for you, please would you RSVP on your online communication card. And that, I think, is the next slide, is where that communication card exists on our website at brookviewchurch.com. And there's a tab that's contact, and you just click on that communication card box, and that will send you to the communication card. The last thing that I wanted to share was, um, you'll notice if you were here last week, we have relit these candles. And um, if you can't see it, those of you that are watching from home, you can smell it in here. It's a bit smoky. Um, but this was just in um, the reality of what is going on in our world, what's going on in Ukraine. We shared last week about the Light of Ukraine Church that we have partnered with and the work that they are doing on the ground in Kiev, trying to get um, food and supplies to people to help them evacuate areas that need to be evacuated. And many of you graciously donated to that last week, and I just want to thank you for that. Um, we are continuing to collect um, money if you would like to contribute to that. The relief arm of our den denomination called CAMA Services is on the ground figuring out how to help people. And so um, all of your donations will go to that. And we will just continue to forward those on as long as those donations come in through brookviewchurch.com on the give side of things. We also have a little donation box in the lobby. You just need to indicate Ukraine on the bottom memo line of your check so that we can make sure that it gets to the right place for that. So again, thank you for your partnership with that. I know that so often when you're facing um, emotional hardship, sometimes having the money that you need to be able to love the way that you want to is a beautiful gift. And oftentimes we don't know what to do or how to do the right thing, but this is something tangible that we can do in addition to praying. And so I just want to remember again this morning our brothers and sisters in Christ that are over there that are fighting. I want to pray for the Russian church that's gathered that doesn't agree with the war that's going on, and they're trying to love well in their community. So let's do that again this morning. We will continue to do that every week until there's some resolution. Dear God, you are the defender of all. God, you are peace in the midst of chaos. And God, I just want to pray that for people in Ukraine and in Russia that are facing the unimaginable. God, my heart aches and it breaks. And I know that it's not as you intended it to be. And so you are, um, you also are sitting in this and you are looking down and it is not with joy, God but it is with a heart that longs to reconcile all things to you. And God, this kind of stuff reminds me of your kingdom and the reality that we get to experience your goodness now, but it's also not yet. And we have the fullness of joy in you, in our, in our eternity with you. And we are told that in this world we will have suffering, but we can take heart because you have overcome it all. 
And so, God, would you step into the suffering in tangible ways? God, would you use us in prayer, God, in generosity, however you might, to help us, um, to help others? We don't know what to do, God, but we know that you see it all and that where people are gathered and they're crying out to you, you are present. And there's confidence and there's hope in that. God, I, t- I pray specifically for the Goots family who is on the ground and trying to figure out with their head up all around them, do we stay, do we go, what's safe, what is not, how do we um, step into the broken places? God, would you equip them, would you give them wisdom, would you give them vis- vision, and give them endurance for you, God? In your name I pray, amen. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Oh, way to get the lights. I was like, I was going to ask to get the lights, and then I didn't have to, but I did anyway. Um, (laughs) I spent a lot of time with Jen, and it kind of rubs off. Actually, she just wanted me to mention, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, like if you live under a rock or something, that the mask mandate ends Saturday, this coming week, right? So this is the last church service, hopefully, for all of eternity. Uh, that, that the mandate, that we're following the mandate and, and that that's happening. So, man, you guys, I'm ready. Are you ready? Yes. So, um, last week we started this series on community and we really just focused on a very simple idea that Jesus' vision for church is that of a family. You know, like church is, is not a building. Church is, is not an event that happens on Sundays. It's not even a, a nonprofit that, that does good in a community. For Jesus, a church is community. It's, it's family. And if you read scripture, you see that, that God cares very much about community. Like from the very first page of the Bible, we see that God is a God of community. On, on page one of the Bible, we read, we're, we're told this. It says, then, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. The scholars and theologians have gone round and round for millennia about this. Like, why is this plural? Who is the us and the are here? And why are the pronouns plural? Why doesn't God say, I'm going to make mankind in my image? And scholars have debated this for thousands of years. Some argue that this is referring to like a divine council, like a host of angels. Others argue that this refers to the New Testament idea, that it's like an early nod to the New Testament idea of the Trinity, of God in three persons, God existing eternally as Father, Son, and Spirit. But either way you look at it, it means that God exists, God exists in a web of relationships. There's a theologian named Gary Brashears who says something that I love. 
He says, God is a family who makes family. Like that, God is a family who makes family. John Mark Comer says it this way. He says, God is love, and love cannot exist without relationship. We are created in the Genesis story out of the overflow of God's relational, generous, self-giving, loving soul. And we're created in God's image and likeness, meaning we're created for relationships, in particular for family, where we live in the flow of Trinitarian love. Now, in our hyper-individualistic culture, uh, many people think of following God as, as really kind of a solo flight, right? I mean, it's like the idea is like, I get saved, then I study the scriptures, then I listen to podcasts, right? And then I grow. And so, like, can you be a Christian without a church family? Well, technically, yes, but something fundamental is, is missing because for Jesus to be a child of the Father is at the same time to be a brother or sister in the family. And so that's kind of where I want to pick up uh, this morning. I, I want us to think about who we are as family and what that means. Like coming out of COVID, right, and coming out of all the divisiveness, I am convinced that we need family. We need church as family now more than ever. And today I want to dial in on, like, how do we honor each other in family? And to sort of launch into this, we're going to start in Romans. And Romans is like this extraordinary book in the New Testament. It's, it's Paul's, like, complete attempt to explain the gospel. And for the first 11 chapters, it's just like straight theology. This is who God is. This is what he's like. Here's what's going on in the world. This is what he's up to. And then in chapter 12... Paul turns the corner, and for the next few chapters, it's all about, in light of this amazing thing God has done, how should we live then? And he talks about how we can serve one another in the family of God using our gifts, that, that we're all different, but that's a good thing, that we all contribute something different to the community, and so whatever it is you're good at, do that. And then Paul describes what life in the family of God needs to look like. And this is where I want to pick this up. I think this is quite a picture of the family of God living together. So here we go. This is Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 9. And Paul writes this. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I mean, what a picture of, of community, of, of the family of God being together, loving one another. You know, we, we honestly, we could spend like a, a year just unpacking those few verses. 
But today what I want us to do is I want us to focus on the second half of verse 10. Paul says, honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another. Like, what what does it mean to honor someone? Well, the word used by Paul here can also be translated to value or to price. So the idea is that to honor someone is to assign value to a person, to recognize their value. As human beings, we have this like innate system built into us and we tend to assign different value to different people, right? For instance, there was a study done um, on a large corporation and they found out that you can chart how important somebody is by how long it takes people to respond to their email. Okay, so the more important you are, the quicker you will get an email back. The less important you are, it's like, sorry. Some of you are thinking through work right now, and you're like, dang. By the way, if you have um, emailed me and I didn't get back to you, okay, no, not at all, not at all. Okay, if I didn't get back to you, something went really haywire. Okay, so please forgive me and email me again. Um, you can even call me names if you need to. Um, when, when Paul, what Paul is saying is that we're supposed to treat every single person like they are exceedingly valuable. If we're supposed to treat everybody like they're a celebrity or something. You guys, I, I want to let you in on something that's just kind of weird. This may give you some insight into me. Really weird thing about me. I used to have this like recurring dream It wasn't always the same, but it was the same theme. I used to have this recurring dream. This lasted for like a year of my life where I was in my dream. I was best friends with Bono from U2. (laughs) And we would just hang out, me and Bono. And we'd like play pool and we'd drink beer and we'd watch baseball. Because you know, Bono loves baseball. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And in my dreams, it was always just chillax because we're just like bros together. Now, here's the thing. If I actually met Bono, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't feel chillax. I, I, I probably have to do like breathing techniques like I was in labor or something just to not hyperventilate. Because when we meet important people, it's a really big deal for us, right? So here's why I just want to... Quick aside right here. I want you to think, who, who, would, who would a person like that be for you? Who's somebody that, like, if you met them, you'd just be like, wow. And when you think of that, just turn to the person next to you real quick and just kind of whisper who you think that might be. <laughs> All right, who would like to share someone else's? <laughs> Anybody? Somebody. Justin Timberlake. Justin Tim- oh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> James, you still have a non-sexual crush on that guy. <laughs> oh, man. Any, anybody else? Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama? Oh. That was, did you guys both say Michelle Obama at the same time? Yes. <laughs> you guys, that's crazy. That, uh, okay, that's awesome. Okay. Here's the thing. 
if you actually get a chance to meet your person, how do you envision you would treat them? You know, like my guess is you, you would pay very close attention. You would, you'd be hanging on every word. You would smile a lot. You'd make a lot of eye contact. You would nod at like everything that they're saying. You would listen intently. Like Joey, if you met John Ryan from the Seahawks, would that not be, it would be amazing. I was with Joey when he met John Ryan. <laughs> Joey could not take his eyes off the man. I couldn't either. I was like, dude, that guy's biceps are unreal. They're unreal. And he's the punter. So here's the point. You, you would treat them as if they are exceedingly valuable. Right? Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying inside a church family, this is how we are to treat one another. Okay, not just the pastor or, the, or, or his wife or, or church leaders or staff, everybody. The idea is that we, we actually don't separate people into two categories, important people and ordinary people. C.S. Lewis talks about why this is really vital for us to think this way. And he says it's because Jesus is at work through the Holy Spirit in every person that surrenders to Christ. And that means that no matter how broken somebody might be, Jesus is making them into something glorious. So he, he's, he's reforming them into something breathtaking. I love this. This is C.S. Lewis. He writes this. I love this. He says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. And this is kind of what Paul is saying. He's, he's essentially saying there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. The person next to you this morning is not ordinary. Like the woman on your left, right? Or the guy on your right. Who's giggling over there? <laughs> the person next to you is not ordinary, right? And so when we meet somebody important like a celebrity or whatever, when you meet your version of Bono, it's like, it's like wow, right? So what, what Paul is saying is like, what if we were to treat everybody that way? What if we were like, dude, look, that's Monica. Who? Monica, mother of three kids. Are you serious? <laughs> Monica, mother of three kids is here? Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I have to meet her. Hi, Monica. It's such an honor to meet you. Like, like going back to what Paul wrote, the NIV doesn't really capture the emotion. The ESV and the NRSV, they, they, they translate this with a little bit more emotion, with a little more gusto. They say it like this, outdo one another in showing honor. Like outdo one another, like, like it's a competition or something. Now some of you, I know, I've hung out with you, you are crazy competitive. And so it's just for you, it's gotta be like, I got this. I, I will out honor you. 
The picture is this community that's just like tripping over itself, going, hey, let me honor you. No, let me honor you. No, really, you are valuable. Thanks, but actually you're more valuable, right? Now, we don't, we don't live in a world that, that works this way, right? I mean, almost nothing in our world works this way. We don't live in a culture of honor. I mean, when you think about these last two years, you think about all of the politics and the social media and the bickering and the differences and the name calling and Twitter and all of that. Think about how quick we are to write each other off. We're being called to be a culture of honor, but we live amidst a culture of contempt. It is so rare to experience honor in our culture. We're, we're far more likely to end up on the receiving end of sarcasm or a cynical put down or a lame joke. Like ours is a culture of contempt. Now you could use the word like dishonor, like we're talking about honor, what would be the opposite of that? We could say dishonor, and, and that's like fine. But I think a word with a little bit more teeth is contempt. Webster's Dictionary defines contempt as lack of reverence or respect for something, the act of despising, the state of mind of one who despises, disdain. When we have contempt in our heart, we, we label a person, we judge them, and we, we lower their value in our mind. Contempt is, is just looking down your nose at someone. And what we tend to do is we take a piece of somebody and we make it the whole of them. We take a bad quality and then we view their entire personhood through that lens. Like this one bad conversation that we had with them or this one mistake that they made or this one personality defect that they have. And then what we do is we compare ourselves not to a real person, but to a, a figment of our imagination that we've created and in doing so, it's wonderful because we feel superior. So when we show contempt, we, we lower the other person's value and we raise our own. It is exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying when he says, honor one another above yourselves. Now, if we follow the way of our culture, instead of following the way of Jesus, we're going to get this really, really wrong. But this is what's, what's kind of exciting to me. Right, like light shines most brightly where? In the darkness. And if we can get this right as the family of God, we can bring light into a culture where there's a whole lot of darkness. And when I think about our little family, this little family, this, this Brookview, you guys, I have seen so much honor exchanged here. You really do value each other. Like even when someone has obvious flaws or failures or obvious differences from you, whether it's COVID or politics or, or whatever. I am so thankful for the level of honor in this little church family. And here's what I'll say. You guys have been, over the years, just so incredibly honoring to me and Jen, and now, now that we have Trevor, to Trevor as well. And I just, I just want you to know, like some of you guys got out of your way to organize people to just give us honor. And I want you to know we feel that. Like we really do. And in a season like this last one, that kind of stuff has carried us. It has just been wind in our sails. And a big reason for me that, that this church is such a joy is, is how much you guys honor us, but also how much you honor one another. Um, different churches 
have different strengths, right? This is definitely a strength of Brookview. But even so, we are surrounded by a culture of contempt, a world that's constantly trying to squeeze us into its mold. Anger, bitterness, hostility, cynicism, judgment, superiority. So in the, in what, like, in the time that's left in this message, what I want to do is I just want to do a little contrast. What are, what are some key differences between living in a culture of honor and living in a culture of contempt? And we could, I could say a whole lot about this. Let me just highlight three things that I think are really important. First, a community of honor opens us up to blessing, whereas contempt shuts us off from the flow of blessing. Here's what I mean. When we see people as as valuable, it enables us to receive from them. If, on the other hand, we see people as having no value, if we do not honor them, then we we cannot receive from them. Um, Think about Jesus for a second. Jesus was viewed very differently by different people, right? Some saw him with great honor, and they attached value to him. Others looked at him with contempt. Who was it that received from Jesus? Only those that gave him honor, right? It was the lame and the blind, and it was the humble and the teachable. But the arrogant, right, the Pharisees, those that looked down their nose at him, they were unable to receive from him. There's a classic example of this in Mark chapter 6. And this is when Jesus goes back to his hometown in Nazareth. And he's been out preaching and healing and doing the crazy stuff. But he goes to his hometown to do ministry. And notice how they react to him and then how their reaction to him limits them. Okay, this is uh, Mark 6 verse 1. Pick it up in verse 1. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that's been given to him? Right? They're just like, he's brilliant, compelling, the level of skill, intelligence, insight into the human condition. And then they say, what are these remarkable miracles he's performing? So imagine it's like the best TED Talk you've ever heard Uh, in your life, and then the TED Talk person walks off the stage, and they raise somebody from the dead. And you're just like, wow, now that's next level. (laughs) Right? Let's, we need to put that on YouTube, right? But then notice how their heart posture toward him changes. They're like, wait, wait, isn't, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? They're like, you guys, you guys remember Mary, right? Yeah, yeah, we remember. Mary's the, I'm, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit, Mary? Yeah, yeah, we remember her. Sure, that's what they're calling it nowadays, right? Okay, isn't this guy's Mary, that Mary, the crazy Mary? And, and, the, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, you remember those guys? Yeah, we remember those guys. They got in a lot of trouble in elementary school, right? And, and aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Who is he to talk at us like this, like a rabbi? Jesus said to them, and and I don't envision a tone of anger, just one of sadness. A a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. 
That's like a really bad day for Jesus. <laughs> and he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, meaning he left. Not in anger. He didn't storm off in a huff. It wasn't like, I'm, I'm going to call down fire and, and lightning on you wicked people. He just, he just he left. He just moved on. And this is what happens when you, when you dishonor people who are gifted and, and they're smart. They don't yell at you. They don't scream at you. They don't make demands. They don't defend themselves. They don't try to convince you. They just, they just walk away. Jesus said, Jesus said it like this. He said, don't throw your pearls before swine. In other words, it's not about convincing people or a response of anger or vengeance. It's just don't offer something to people if they're not ready to receive it. Don't try to force a blessing where it's not welcome. And notice what the people of Nazareth do. They, they lower Jesus' value. He comes in doing amazing things. There's no denying it. And what do they do? They work really hard to lower his value. Yeah, well, okay, but he's just one of us, right? He's nothing special. Like, we know his family. And you guys, it is so tempting for us to do this to one another. You're nothing special. You're, you're just one of us. Who do you think you are? It is so easy to dishonor people. But there's a huge cost in that. A community of honor opens us up to blessing, whereas contempt shuts us off from the flow of blessing. The, the people of Nazareth wanted to bring Jesus down to their level, and they treated him with contempt. They looked down their nose at him, and they missed out on the, on the blessing that he came to offer to them. This is what happens. When we honor people, we, we get access to who they are. We get access to all that's good in them and to, to, their, to their gifts, to whatever it is that they carry. It could be wisdom, could be talent, could be humor, could be kindness, could be tenderness. It might be experiences that they've had. But if we assign to them no value and we treat them with contempt, then we close ourselves off from receiving from them. Okay, second thing. Honor brings out the best in people, whereas contempt brings out the worst in people. Like with your language and your attitude and your posture towards someone, you have the ability to create or destroy, to raise up and release, or to tear down and damage. And as a general rule, people will live up or down to the words spoken over them. Like, like in the business world these days, there's conversation about leadership. And one way of thinking about leadership is, is contrasting leadership styles. One style is the multiplier, right? Have you guys heard of this? One is the multiplier and the other is the diminisher. The multiplier builds into people. The multiplier resources people, empowers people. The multi multiplier sets people free to thrive. The diminisher, on the other hand, is basically like the leader who is the smartest, most capable person in the room, and they know they're the smartest person in the room, and they walk in, and they kind of look down on everybody, and they kind of dominate, and people feel intimidated, and people just shut down. And researchers have discovered something kind of crazy about this. This is where, like, we've all known that that happens, but here's, here's something crazy. When people work under what, what would be classified as a diminisher, they literally get stupider. 
Now, I know that stupider is not a word. There's a little irony in there for you. But they, they've done before and after testing on people working for a diminisher, and they've discovered that someone's IQ can actually go down as much as 20 points. Meaning, we literally have the power to shape somebody's intelligence. Like when you treat people with contempt, it, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think that we've all seen this. We've seen it, I, I think we see it all the time in the context of like marriage and family. Like in, in the honeymoon phase of marriage, people, people can be blind, right? You all agree? People can be blind, right? They, all that they see in the other person is, is the good, right? But when that wears off, and they start to see real faults and flaws, and it can be like a switch flips, and all that they can see is the bad in each other. And, and they think about and, and just completely focus on, I don't like this about you. Here's the stuff that's wrong with you. It's all they can see. It's all they can think about. And when you, when you get around a couple like this, it is awkward. Like they can be amazing people in so many other ways. They're like wonderful people, but the level of dishonor toward one another is so awkward for, for the rest of us, and it's so damaging to them. And here's why. Here's why it's so damaging. Your spouse will likely live into what you say. To some degree, they will live into what you say. And so if you constantly make nagging, harping comments, or you criticize, or you bite, or you demean, that's going to take a toll on your spouse. And that means that the soul of the person that you have been called by God to build up, to find ways to support and encourage and release into their fullest potential, is being damaged again and again. We've all seen the same thing in parenting, right? Now, sometimes you, you hear frustrated parents and like you'll hear them say something like, oh, little Johnny, he's such a demon. <laughs> right? And you, you look at little Johnny and you're like, man, he is kind of a demon. <laughs> right? But, but you, you, you stop and you, and you think to yourself, well, okay, but I wonder what came first, right? Chicken or the egg? Like Johnny's, Johnny's hearing his parents say in public in front of other people that he's a demon. Like what do you expect him to act like when his mother whose job is to nurture him or his father whose job is to mature him and unleash him into his full potential is constantly speaking that kind of stuff over him? I mean like one of the easiest things that you can do as a parent and if you're young and you don't have kids yet, here's a little tip, just remember this. One of the easiest things you can do as a parent is just speak the reality over your children that you want to see. Um, when Kate and Cam were growing up, they're only 15 months apart, and they were exceptionally close. And this was always like important to Jen. It was important to me. It was really important to Jen. And so when they would have those inevitable moments where they got annoyed, when they started bickering and dishonoring each other, here's what Jen would often do. She would take the two of them and she would sit them down and she would say to them, guys, you are best friends. You are best friends. Now, nothing about the immediate situation looked like best friends, but she would sit them down and be like, guys, you love each other. That's reality, and I am speaking that over you. So in parenting, 
it helps to speak the reality that you want to see over your kids. You are obedient, respectful, responsible, helpful, pleasant. Some people call that manipulation. I call that Christ-like parenting. I've also seen this in effect in a huge way in like the youth sports world. My, my kids have played a lot of youth sports, um, but especially basketball, and they've had some great coaches and they've had some, some really not good coaches. And one of our all-time favorite basketball coaches is a guy named Nick Starks. Um, yeah, woo, yes, Brooklyn. Okay, that was you. I was like, ladies, take it easy. <laughs> Uh, so Nick is now the coach, uh, the like varsity coach at Mount Lake Terrace High School. But for years and years, um, as, as he was coming along, he, he coached competitive youth teams all the way down to like fourth grade. And so Cameron played for Nick and Brooklyn played for Nick. And, and he is amazing for a lot of reasons. But one of the things I really love about Nick is his voice sounds just like Chris Rock. <laughs> Diap! It's, it's pretty awesome. And he, so... Um, one of his greatest strengths, though, as a coach is his ability to honor his players. Like, he, he really, really believes that every single kid on his team can play, that they can really play. And he believes, sometimes delusionally, he believes that his team can compete with anybody. Uh, and so he gets frustrated with his kids sometimes. And he corrects them a lot. He pushes them hard. But it, it always comes from this place of, you're really good. Like, I see you. I believe in you. You can do this. And he is constantly speaking that over them. And he believes it. So when things start going sideways, he's like, you guys are better than this. He'd call a timeout and just be like, you guys are better than this. Like, let's go. And I'll tell you what. Kids love playing for Nick. I mean, we saw it year after year, he coached boys, he coached girls, he coached fourth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, seniors in high school. Kids love playing for this guy and they work their butts off and they feed off of his belief in them. They start to actually believe that they can compete with anyone. Now Cam, prior to playing for Nick, Cam played for a diminisher style coach for years and years. And it took a toll on him. And then he switched teams and he played for Nick. And we just watched him like thrive. Now we were super sad when Nick got hired by Terrace. For one thing, um, at that time he was coaching Brooke and it meant she couldn't play for him anymore. Um, and now is actually gonna have to play against him. But we were also really sad for him because you guys, Terrace was terrible. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, make you wanna puke bad for like decades. I, I like, they were horrific. We're like, Nick, what are you doing? Hold out, go somewhere else, right? But he was like, no, I'm going to Terrace and we're gonna win. We are going to win. And you guys, in just a couple of seasons, he has turned the thing completely around. I was, uh, I was looking through his Twitter feed this week just to try to find a, a picture of him for you guys. And I stumbled into a video in his Twitter feed. And it's, it's kind of low video quality and everything, but I cannot resist showing this to you. And so as you watch this, even if you don't give a rip about basketball, just watch the way this guy celebrates his girls and believes in them. Um, and notice the level of community that in just a couple of years, this guy has, has built. Now, it's a, it's a short little clip, 57 seconds. Here's the setting. 
Okay, Terrace has the ball. It, they're th passing it in from out of bounds. There's five seconds left, and they're down one. Okay, Nick is wearing a red T-shirt. He's going to come in from the right of the screen. Keep your eye on Nick as much as you can through this entire thing because this is a culture of honor. All right, let's roll this thing. You guys, that, you, you look at that, you go, wow, was that like district title? <laughs> no, it was just a, just a game. <laughs> just a game. And, and, and they're, playing, they're playing Meadowdale, and I don't want to call anybody out in the room, but one of the assistant coaches for the Meadowdale girls program is Trevor Gray. <laughs> and so, dude, if that causes trauma for you, I... Just one tier. Just one tier. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. Nick has this way of, of speaking honor over his players. And, and they rise. They just, one by one, they rise. And my point is that all of us, we have more power than we think we do. We can tear people down or we can release them into their destiny. And when you think about Jesus, you go, this is what Jesus would do. He, Jesus would find people that nobody else honored, and he would honor them. People that their society had just passed over, a, a fisherman, a, a tax collector, a former demoniac, a prostitute. And he would speak, he would speak, and, they, and, and those people went on and they rewrote human history. I mean, you think about it. Jesus saw something in them that nobody else saw, and he called it out with the word of his mouth, and he called them into a destiny and into a future. And now he is handing the baton to us and saying, listen, go do this. Treat one another with honor and watch what happens. Honor brings out the best in people. Contempt brings out the worst in people. Finally, honor creates a safe place of trust in a conflict, whereas contempt activates fear and sabotages reconciliation. Now, you guys don't need me to say much about this. You know all about this. We, we are at our best when we feel safe because our mind and our body are calm and rational and open and humble and generous. But the moment that we feel like we are under attack or we feel fear, our amygdala, that little gland in our brain, fires up and begins to flood our body with chemicals and we go into fight or flight. We react in emotional and very irrational ways. We yell or we defend or we blame shift or we withdraw or shut up or shut out or walk out the door. Whatever your personal like, pattern of conflict 
uh, resolution happens to be in your, in your personality. And so often when we confront someone and we just focus in on the wrong that they've done and we have no gratitude for all the good that they've done in our life, then we maximize the wrong in our mind and we, we minimize our part in it and we gossip to our echo chamber of friends or family or whoever to confirm the bias and then we come to them in a spirit of contempt. And how do they respond? Not well, right? Why? Well, because they're just not humble. Not so much. Nobody responds well to contempt. Even if it's well-earned. Nobody responds well to that. If we don't feel a sense of I'm loved and I'm, and I'm respected and I'm valued by the other person who has this thing with me, then we just go into self-preservation mode, right? And then we can't receive what they have to say, even if they're right. So imagine if we were to come at somebody that we're crosswise with, and it was just like a posture of like, listen, you know, we need to talk about this. I know we're at odds. But first, I just want you to know that I love you and, and, I, and, I, and I respect you. And I'm, and I'm grateful for your contribution to my life. And our relationship really matters to me. And, and, I, and we need to talk about this, obviously, but I just, I just want to honor you. So how about this? Why don't you start? Why don't, you, why don't we just kick this? You tell me how you're feeling. I, I want to tell you how I'm feeling too, but first I want to hear how you're feeling because I really respect and value and honor you. Now this is a very different posture, right? And this is how I, for one, handle all relational conflict. <laughs> I never get like all emotional and react ever. I'm just like Jesus Zen all the time. You got, okay, here's a little confession. Jan and I were here, we're doing some work around the church this week and the door, front door wouldn't, wouldn't uh, open for a minute. Just the, so I had to go get an extra key to open it and Jen said, it's, it's over. I said, where are those? And she said, it's over in the, this little classroom and, and it's, uh, you know, it's in the brown pullout drawers. And so I'm like, I went over there and I had a hard time finding it at first. And, um, and so then I felt like she was criticizing me because it was taking too long. And she didn't say anything, but what I heard and felt was, you're an idiot. <laughs> and so I got the key, I came over here and unlocked it, and then we had a conversation around it that was much more rational. And she said, did you, did you find it in the brown pullout drawers? And she didn't say this, but I felt her say, just like I said. <laughs> and, and I said, well, you mean the, the bin that's green? She's like, what are you talking about? It's brown. And I was like, it's green. The unit is green. She's like, it's brown. So we're, we're done with what we had to do here. We're, we're done. She goes, do you want to go right down there and look at it right now? <laughs> I said, yes, I do. So we went down there and looking at the unit, it's grayish <laughs> green. And the drawers that are very low that you pull out, they are brown. 
But I, I'm like, you know what, from your perspective, you're much shorter than me, that's all you would see. I, Listen, we need to talk about this. <laughs> I know we're at odds, but first I want you to know that I value you and respect you. You guys, I get this wrong all the time, okay? And so you're like, yeah, whatever, dude. I get this wrong just like anybody else. I am trying to get better and better at this. The reason that it matters to me to get better at this is because it makes a difference. And, and my point in all of this is the more we treat people with honor, the better we're going to be able to sort through conflicts. In fact, I, I would go as far as to say you cannot stay in a long-term relationship without a basic operating system of honor, of mutual respect, of value, of gratitude for the other person. And I just, I just want to close today with this. As we head into a time of worship, just consider this. The heart posture of Jesus toward you is one of honor. Jesus knows all about your flaws and your failures and all he sees it all. He still values you deeply. He sees beauty in you. He sees what you can become with the Holy Spirit unleashed inside of you. And he is relentlessly devoted to bringing out all of that in you. So when we fail and, and we, we fall short and we feel so inadequate and unworthy, even in our worst moments, in our worst seasons, Jesus sees past all the junk to the goodness and to future goodness. And I think a, a lot about, and I talk about this a lot, but I think about the, the scene of his crucifixion. Jesus is receiving the worst of, of human contempt. Like with his body bleeding, just mutilated and nearing death, he's watching those, watching him cheering. And they're spitting on him, mocking him, celebrating his pain. And yet Jesus prays a really strange prayer for them. It says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that used to just confuse the heck out of me. What does he mean they don't know what they're doing? They know what they're doing. They're killing him and they are enjoying his pain. They know it but they don't know who he is. They don't understand. And Jesus sees that they, even those people are not beyond redemption. They're not beyond healing. They're not beyond wholeness. That, that what they're doing is horrific and it is worthy of God's judgment, but it's like Jesus is saying, Father, they cannot fully grasp what they're doing here. And while this is horrific, none of them are beyond rescue. So don't judge them by this moment, the worst moment of their lives. Don't condemn them for this. Let's, let's try to help them see. Let's, let's try to heal them. What if, what if, what, what, let's think about what they could be if the Holy Spirit came upon them and began the, the deep uh, process of inner transformation. Any of them could become something indescribably beautiful. So let's not define them or write them off based on what they're doing. You guys, that's honor. That is relentless honor. And that is exactly how Jesus looks at you and how he looks at me. He sees not only the junk in you, and he sees it, but he sees so much beauty as well. He sees that you can become something so good and so strong.
And he refuses to stop pursuing you until that's complete. Father in heaven, I think about this culture that we live in right now, in this cultural moment where there is just so much anger and judgment and hostility and contempt where there's an eagerness to take somebody and put them in a box and, and never let them out, to label them and to, to turn this thing into an us and them. And I, I think about the way that that's going on in our world. And Father, I pray that you would help us to separate ourselves from that, from that posture, that heart posture, that way of thinking. And I pray that the way that you think and the way that you see would seep deeply into our hearts more and more and more over time, and especially in community with one another. God, I pray that in a culture of, of contempt, you would create a community of honor in this, in this place, that you would help us to do that. I think about, I think about us coming together around tables to have brunch and, and with people that we may not have really had much conversation with, but the ability to just sit and listen and give value and honor one another. What a beautiful thing. And so God, I pray that you would fill us with your heart. I pray that you would help us to see what you see, feel what you feel, and act as you would have us act more and more and when we fail we would get back up and do it again because because you're not done with us when we fail we would get back up and, and you would just continue to teach us because you are gracious amen